Welcome to Providence Cares, a podcast about overcoming obstacles and finding hope. We're sharing stories of compassion, justice, and our mission to provide health for a better world. Hello, I'm your host, Juliette Marsh, the Chief for Mission Integration here at Providence St. Joseph in Burbank. And here with me today is my guest, Dr. Angelique Campen, an emergency department physician of 20 years with Providence St. Joseph Medical Center. Today we are discussing the many blessings and challenges of being both a parent, a mom, a doctor, and balancing all of these roles in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Okay, let's get started by welcoming our guest, Dr. Campen. Hi there, thank you for having me. Well, it's our pleasure. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to becoming a physician, particularly within the emergency department? Great, certainly. So um, I'm a LA native and no one in my family was in medicine. No one, uh, I didn't have any exposure to doctors except going to my own doctor. But from an early age, I was really interested in what was inside the body. Blood or things like that didn't bother me. I was just always curious to see what was inside. Uh, so I think that's what had me start thinking about healthcare and medicine and so forth. And probably another instrumental um, event that helped me choose going into medicine was my dad's mom, my grandma, had a stroke. And back then, there was really nothing you could do for a stroke except supportive care. Um, and she was really affected by it. And the, the helplessness that my dad felt in not being able to do anything for her, the changes it had in her life, uh, because she was paralyzed on one side, um, it really made me feel like I wanted to do something to help. So I decided to go to medical school. Um, I set out to go to medical school to be a surgeon because like I said, I liked blood and gore and the insides. But when I did my rotation in emergency medicine, I felt like I was at home. To me, that was my, um, my true idea of a doctor, the one that comes to you at greatest need, um, I loved the interaction that you had with your patients and it, it was just the most intriguing to me. And so that's how I became an emergency room doctor. That's wonderful, thank you. In addition to your grandmother then, can you tell us a little bit about other women in your life who may have continued to inspire you to become a physician and more specifically that, that energy and that draw in the emergency room? So, um, I was born, I was a little kid in the seventies. And then there was still some stereotype that men were doctors and women were nurses. So when I was little, I, in kindergarten, I have this picture that says, when I grow up, I want to be a nurse. And my mother thinking that was a grand, would be very proud for me to be a nurse, 
also wanted me to know, though, that, you know, honey, if you want to be a doctor, you can do that as well. And I said, really, I can do that? She said, yeah, you can do anything you want. And so from then on out, I said, okay, I think I want to be a doctor. So I would say my mom had a huge impact on that. Wow, that's really powerful. Thank you. You know, we're, we are honoring and celebrating Women's History Month. So I'm curious to know if you could tell us about some of the historical women that have also inspired you and who you most admire. You know, I don't think I could nail it down to just one woman. I am thankful for every woman physician that came before me because each of them has helped shape their colleagues, their the impressions that people have on women physicians. Um, and have kind of paved the road to make my entry into medicine as a woman that much easier. You know, I'm actually really grateful to hear you say that. I am named after a woman who went to medical school a hundred years ago. And her first name was Julie and her middle name was Etta and Dr. Julie delivered my mom who is 80. And oh, so to think of those women that have gone before you, um, I, I'm grateful to hear you that you stand on the shoulders of so many. Could you also share with us a little bit about advice then that you might give to other parents and mothers who are entering the healthcare field or who are open to the possibility of welcoming children as their careers continue to develop? So, um, you know, it's a long road to become a doctor. Um, you, you really do sacrifice your 20s. Um, and that's a little daunting at first because I also, it's very important to me to have a family and uh, I wanted to be a mom. So my advice would be not to go on anyone else's schedule that schooling can, can come uh, at any time. So to go about your life and uh, it's, it's totally doable to be a mom and to be a doctor at the same time. You don't have to, it's not mutually exclusive. You don't have to wait till you're finished with medical school residency to have children. That's what I did because that's what was encouraged of me. But looking back, there's no reason that if the time had been right earlier that I have a child that I couldn't have done it. Um, so that is my advice to people is that you can make your own path. And what about thinking about younger women and young girls? I have three daughters entrusted to my care. What advice would you offer to them? Well, I would suggest that you really embrace the fact that you are a woman and you don't, I felt a lot of pressure early on when I was applying to medical school to, to almost take on some more manly characteristics, but that's not me. I am, I am a, a feminine woman. Not everyone is, but that's, that's what describes me. And I think that that quality 
helps me be a better doctor um, to, because that is me, to embrace that and uh, not try to change who you are, but to, to take what is you and take the best parts of it and put it towards what you're doing. Are there particular challenges that you could share with us that you faced as a female physician working in the emergency room? Well, in the beginning, um, I don't look the stereotypical part. I, um, I have kind of crazy curly hair. It is, it is my custom to wear makeup. Um, and so I didn't look the typical part. Uh, and it was a little bit more challenging to earn the, the respect and uh, have a good rapport with my patients. But that's who I am. And so rather than try to change that, um, I simply embraced it and found that when I didn't fight that and I used it to my benefit, um, it helped me be a better doctor. Uh, warm, nurturing, caring, um, to let those, let those qualities show. And then as a physician, have you also encountered uh, biases that you've experienced in your professional career? And how did you potentially you know, manage the situation as well? So um, like I touched on earlier, it was important to me to be a mom. And it was also important to me to be a doctor. And advice that I got back then was to not take any time off, go straight through college, medical school, residency, and get that all completed, and then be a mom. It worked out well for me. I have three lovely, beautiful children. Um, but I think that's more of a personal choice. So um, whereas male colleagues that I had, had, you know, they were having starting their families, um, I, I got different advice. And I, I don't think that has to be. And now here we are uh, in this global pandemic with all the rich gifts that you bring to us. Amazingly, we're already at the one year mark and curious to know what has been one of your greatest challenges during this pandemic. You know, it's really been quite a journey. Um, this it was an unusual time in medicine for people who are used to practicing having all the knowledge and the answer and the evidence to rely on. And I think this was the first time everyone, doctors, nurses, uh, techs, we didn't have information. We had to use our critical thinking, get as much information on as we were going. And that's really uncomfortable to, to not have all the answers. Um, so that was something we, we had to learn to deal with early on. And as information came out, some of it was right and some of it was not right. 
and trying to think critically about um, information that you would hear and to see if it applied to your practice or not. The other thing that was a challenge is because we didn't know much about coronavirus when it first started, it was scary. It was scary to get dressed and go to work and not know um, if I was gonna get sick, if I was gonna bring it home to my family. Um, that, was, that was very scary. But fortunately with time and with using my head and being careful and uh, being focused on protecting myself and keeping my hands clean and wearing a mask and wearing my protective gear, um, I, never, I never got sick. And as time went on, I got more and more confidence in my ability to keep myself safe. Well, I feel like I've just had a glimpse at your world and can only imagine in some ways the complexities of being a physician in the emergency room during this time. Uh, and I'm curious if you'd share with us how you then balanced your own vocation and call to this role and your other challenges of being a whole person and being part of your family during this pandemic. So as you can imagine, during the height of the pandemic, it was very, very busy. Um, uh, we had more patients than we had hours in the day to take care of them. So um, my attention, my time was very precious. And um, having to balance that, um, that's my obligation, that's uh, what I'm supposed to do with, for example, having my child call me and say, mom, I have a question for you and not being able to answer at that time. Um, I had to remember to remind my children of their importance to me and help just uh, rather than hide what I was doing at work, share with them what's going on and that while I'm there, I'm thinking about them um, and I'm doing my part to help keep them safe, their grandparents safe, their friends safe, um, and just remind them their importance, even though I couldn't give them the at that time attention that they wanted. Well, I think you're modeling for us, right? That the, the work that we do is also important and you're modeling that for your children as well. So your being and bringing your whole self helps to remind them in many different ways. And it's so important to us though, to also be attentive to our own self care. So are there some practices that you have that you've found to be really important for your own self care during this time? I did, I found that um, we are human, we are not machines. And so um, to, to the best way that I can be a good caretaker and take care of others is to be healthy myself. And that I needed to make sure I was doing the basics. I was getting enough sleep. I was eating. Um, I was taking my vitamins. I was keeping myself healthy. Because there's a lot of um, physicians that I guess the word would be very selfless and they just want to work till the very 
till, till they have nothing left to give to help people. But you, you have to be healthy yourself to be an effective, um, attentive caregiver. Um, and that goes for anyone, not just healthcare providers. Absolutely. So as a healthcare provider now, um, how have things changed in your practice of medicine just since the beginning of the pandemic? So fortunately, we seem to be improving right now. Um, we are getting back to semi-normalcy in the ER. We have a lot more information and science behind what we're doing. But one thing that's changed that um, is, is in keeping others safe, there, there has not been a lot of visitors in the ER or in the hospital. So the healthcare professionals have had to kind of step into that role as well. So not only are we doing the, the healthcare and the treatment, but we're giving the emotional support as well. And I think um, doing this now for more than a year has made me a much better communicator because I've had to, to be creative in the ways that I get information, talking to family members on the phone, helping put them at ease over the phone by, by describing their family member, letting them know that everything's okay or not okay, but, but in a calm, clear way. And um, I think that is the, 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 was the biggest challenge and the most improvement I had to make through this pandemic. Well, and hopefully you'll take some of that insight with you as we continue to emerge from it as well. Are there other positive changes that you've seen in the healthcare field overall in the last year? So um, it was so heartwarming to see how the world really embraced the frontline providers. Um, the, the meals that were delivered to us, um, the kind words, the nice cards, it, it really um, helped to energize all of us and remind us why we do what we do. And real, we, I, I can speak for everyone in my department. We, we really were thankful for, for every effort that non-healthcare professionals um, did to try to help us, big or small. It, it really made a difference. You know, there is something really beautiful in that, right? Feeling so powerless and yet wanting to support. So we've seen that. Um, small things, like you said, even a meal or a gesture reminds us that we are not alone. Yes. Well, we know now that also there are people who are still concerned about receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. And I'm hoping that you could share with our listeners um, some insights for those that are still having some reservations. So I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> um, well, first of all, as evidence, um, you know, just to watch the entire um, it seems like the whole healthcare community 
really band together to go get the vaccine themselves. We were the, the first ones to, to really get the vaccine. Um, I think that showed um, doctors, nurses, just people in healthcare, how much we believed in the science behind it and how we recognized that it was important um, to do something to protect ourselves. I can understand how people would be um, concerned about the vaccine. There's, there's thought that it's a novel, um, a novel treatment that uh, they just came up with it so quickly. Um, and it, at first I had, I was a bit skeptical as well, thinking about a vaccine coming to market in record time. But as I used my critical thinking and looked into the science behind it, I was able to realize that the type of vaccine it was, this mRNA vaccine, um, has been around for many, many years and was almost just waiting for an opportunity like this to create, to slip in the right protein sequence and create a vaccine quickly and safely for something like this. So even though it seemed like it came to market quickly, it is a science that's been around for a long time. Um, so that's the best argument I can give people to, to have them feel comfortable uh, with getting the vaccine. And now from your lens, what does the future of healthcare look like? Well, um, I think that through this whole pandemic, we've seen that we need to cooperate. Everyone needs to cooperate. Um, doctors all in Los Angeles, doctors all in California, in the US, countries to other countries in helping to share science, share information for the betterment of healthcare. That's, that's really how we got on top of taking care of patients is learning from each other. And um, the, 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 the medical chat boards that came up where information was freely shared was fantastic. And I hope that continues in, in the science of healthcare. Um, I think this also shows us that, that there's no, there's no predicting. I, I have no idea what the, the next medical breakthrough is going to be. I have no idea what the next disease coming down the pike is going to be. Um, but I do know, I do know one thing. Um, and it's, it's what we see in, in all the, the history of what we've been doing in the emergency department, like with stroke care, with infection care, such as coronavirus, with heart attack care. The future of treating people's health is going to be faster, closer, and at the bedside. That's, that's really the, the one, predi one prediction I can, can tell you. Um, getting treatments to patients more quickly and 
that's helped us in in designing our physical layout of uh, how we de deliver care. Like at Providence St. Joseph, we're building a, a new emergency department and urgent care. And, and we used that idea to help try to design the space that, because we can't predict what, what new treatment will be coming, but we can design a space that can accommodate that by having bigger rooms and allowing quicker movement and so forth. Well, thank you, Dr. Campin, for sharing your professional journey, your insight, and your personal journey as well, and for joining us today on Providence Cares. And thank you to everyone for listening. We invite all Providence caregivers to join the SoCal Diversity and Inclusion Channel to stay up to date on all Providence events, partnerships, strategies, and educational topics around healthcare disparities. Make sure to listen to future podcasts on Dash Radio, under Future of Health Radio, or your favorite podcast platform, and follow us on social media. Well, thank you to our expert for joining us today and to everyone for listening and sending in your questions. We look forward to future topics with more experts from Providence. Make sure to follow us on social media at Providence on Twitter and under Providence Health System on Instagram and Facebook. To learn more about our mission programs and services, visit Providence.org. Thanks for listening.